Readings from Romans 5, 1 through 11. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us all. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is God's word. Morning. We are moving through Romans. If you've got your Bible, would you uh, open to Romans chapter 5 and follow along with me? We've been talking about in Romans how we become right with God, how we get into right standing with Him. And talked about it's by faith, it's by believing that He is, by say, thinking that He is telling the truth. That is credited to our account, we talked about last week, as right standing with God. It's just uh, an amazing gift that we don't have to do or be good people. We we can get to be right with God because we believe. So Paul says, okay, what happens if we've been, another word, another word for that is to be justified by faith. He says in 5.1, since you've been justified by faith, what happens? And he talks about three things that happen when you believe. Now look, you may not feel these things, but he says it doesn't matter. This is what actually happens. He says, first, you're at peace with God. So the Bible says that just in our human state, we're at at, uh, hostility with God. We're at odds with God because we want to be God. So he says the first thing is you have peace with God. Now that's not the same thing as the peace of God. The peace of God, I I think of the... Talked this morning about the joy of the Lord being our strength and the peace of God, the joy of the Lord. What are, what are those things? I've come over the last decades of following the Lord to think those things are peace and joy and those kind of feelings of, of God are uncaused. It's pretty easy to have peace when things are really going well. Right? It just is. If the, if the water's calm, it's not that hard for me to become, well, I don't like the ocean anyway or the water anyway, but generally speaking, if it's calm, I'm in pretty good shape. But man, start to get the waves coming up, 
man, my nerves go. When I sense peace, when I should be sensing panic, I, I've come to believe that's the peace of God that's filling my heart. And that's what I'm striving for. I don't always achieve it. You may not either. But when I have the joy of the Lord, it's usually uncaused. Again, when circumstances are great, happy, it's great to be happy on these wonderful days of, of our lives. But when things are really in the tank and God fills us and we find joy anyway, to me, that's the joy of the Lord because it's uncaused by human circumstance. All that to say, this isn't peace, the peace of God, that sense. This is you're at peace with God. If you're justified, if you believe in Him, you're no longer at war with God. You're at peace with Him. You may not feel it, but you are. He is for you. He is with you. The wrath of God is no longer something you have to be under. And so that's the first thing. The second thing he says, and if you follow along with me in verse 2, through him we have obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So we have access into grace. Think of it this way. If you want to get on a backstage pass to a really popular uh, concert or artist or whatever, you aren't just going to get back there by saying, hey, I'd, I'd like to go back and meet whoever this person is. You've got to have the access pass. You've got to have an invite, or either that or your secret service. You've got to be somebody to get back there. So he says, if you want to operate in the grace, that is in the ability that God would fill you you now have it because you believe. You now have access to God Almighty. You don't have to clean up. You don't have to make yourself any better. You have you, you have an access pass to God. So you're first of all, you've got peace with God, and you have access into grace. And then finally, it says again in verse three, it says we also are going to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God that one day. All the things that we face that are troubling us, they're, they're going to be gone. And that the hope of the glory of God is real and it keeps us going when days are dark. So think of it this way. The, the peace with God is, is the hostility that used to be in your past is gone. He's dealt with your past. You have access today into the presence of Almighty God. That's your present. And the hope of glory is your future. So past, present, and future are covered if you think God, through Jesus, is telling the truth. All right, so then you think, then life's going to be wonderful. No more problems. If I've got all those things, that sounds pretty good. And Paul's about to give us a big old cup of cold water. He says, you can rejoice in all these things. And then he says, follow along with me. In verse 3, not only that, but we also get to rejoice in our, what? Suffering. Oh, we love the word suffering. What's, what is suffering? Alright. Let me just say one right up front. Suffering is different things to different people. If I told you you had to be alone for three days and couldn't see another person, some of you guys would be in suffering and some of you guys are like, that's the best news ever. Am I right? On the other hand, if I told you 
three-day party, you're in the presence of people for three straight days. Some of you are, that hell just put me in now. And some of you guys, it's heaven, right? So suffering looks different to different people. On the other hand, we all suffer in the same ways in many ways because physical pain, the deterioration, the tragedies of life all around us that happen, pretty much for everybody except someone who's psychopathic, it's, it's suffering for all of us. The word is philipsis, the Greek word, and it literally means a narrowing, a pressure, that when there's no other way out, that between a rock and a hard place and they keep pressing, the philipsis, and it squeezes you. And it's kind of it's kind of a crazy image, but that word's a very common word in the New Testament. And interestingly enough, not just hear what Paul says, but think about what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, "Blessed are you, right, when things go bad." I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but when you're persecuted for righteousness' sake, blessed are you. It says what? Rejoice and be glad. Really, Jesus? Really? Think about what James said. Jesus' brother in chapter 1. He says, consider it all, what? Joy when you encounter Philipsis. Think about Peter. Chapter 1 again, 6 and 7. In these things you rejoice even though you've been grieved by terrible trials. Don't be surprised, my beloved brothers, when fiery trials come upon you as if some strange thing were happening to you. The scripture tells us over and over again. So here's, this is going to be the sort of, it's a relatively short message, but we need a theology of suffering. And I don't know what holds our futures, except I have a feeling we're all getting older. And there will be a certain amount of suffering with that. There's also a certain joy, but there's a certain suffering. And we need a theology of suffering so that we're not surprised. Paul says that if I, with suffering comes a couple of other things that should follow along. He says the way God designed it, as as terrible as it can seem, it's designed, the suffering, pain, that sense that something's not right, causes you, let's look together with me, in verse 3, you rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Alright, so think, Now, I've confessed many times, I hate to run long distances, and for me, long distance is more than like 20 yards. That's a long distance race. The first thing you feel when you start to run or train, and, you know, I have run a little bit, you're going to feel pain after a certain distance, 50 yards, 100 yards, 200 yards. If you haven't trained at all, you're going to feel some pain. If you stop, you'll never endure. You'll just stop. You'll have to be a a sprinter. But if you're terrible at sprinting, life apparently isn't a sprint. It's a long-distance race. So you're going to feel some pain as you start to run. That suffering is there 
so that you say, I'm not going to stop. And then the next time you run, hopefully you can get another five yards or ten yards before you feel that same twinge of pain. And then again, you go more and more, and then you become some of y'all who run miles and miles and like it. It It's supposed to produce in us endurance to keep going. So I want you to think for just a minute, if I had to define my own suffering, what, what is it for you? Is it physical? Is it relational? When you think about the things you don't want to think about because it cause you pain, it's probably a good place to start with the suffering. Maybe it's circumstances in your life. Maybe it's thinking about the world around you. What's the philipsis? What's the pressure in your life that gives you, just feels suffering? And you think, okay, the reason I can rejoice is not because I love it. Bible never says you have to love that thing. But can you say, Lord, I thank you for that circumstance or that relationship or that physical something because it's going to first teach me to endure and to not give up. And then it produces something else. It then that endurance, it says in verse four, produces character. And the word is actually proven character. Now everybody, I hope everybody here wants to have character. Character is, is that we are what we are. The characteristics, the fruit of our lives. Proven character, it's that same word that we prove. Gold, metal, when we get out the stuff that needs to be out of there, so we are actually looking more like Jesus Christ. The suffering produces the endurance. And over the long haul, you know character, this is why you don't hopefully marry someone on the first date, right? Some people do. They're like television shows, right? I married someone I've never met before. I'm like, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I don't think arranged marriages necessarily are bad, but hopefully your parents have thought about the proven character, right? As opposed to, I just meet you for the first time and I'm going to marry you. You don't know their character? Everybody looks and smells good on the first date, right? I hope. But by the 10th and 20th, or when you don't plan for it, and when there's an emergency and you can't make yourself, and what you actually look like, that's your proven character. That's what you actually are. And we, we learn those things in times of crisis because suffering, producing endurance, producing our proven character, producing character in us. And then, in turn, that produces, it says, what? Hope. For Christians, hope isn't a feeling. Hope is a person. Hope is Jesus. He's the only one who's worthy of our hope, our ultimate hope. It's going to produce in us the hope that what we believe about Jesus is true. Because, look, understand when people who don't believe look at it and say, really? God somewhere out there sent this guy down to earth? Really? It's only true if Jesus is true, isn't it? If he didn't rise from the dead, if he didn't live the life he lived, then we're all messed up. Our hope becomes fixed in the person of Jesus. And you think, well, okay, I, I hope 
that I've given you what Paul lays out here as a reason that suffering doesn't have to bring you bad things. But you know what? Suffering sometimes does because this is not automatic. This is a choice we make to believe and trust. Here's what I've seen suffering produce, and I'm sure you know people, and I'm thinking of people as I say these things that I've walked with, people that I love. Suffering, tragedy, death of a loved one, pain, sorrow, unexplained, God is good, and yet I see suffering. And what it's produced in them is doubt that God is either good or sovereign. He cannot be both if there is suffering. There's books written about that. Thirty years ago or 40 years ago, there was a book uh, about um, you know, how can there be a good God? The name just flew out of my mind. But why, oh, why do bad things happen to good people, right? And his his answer, I mean, he was, I think he's a Jewish guy, and his answer was God's not sovereign. He couldn't lay down that God was good. He said, I think God's good, but he doesn't have all power. Some people come to the other conclusion. And then, what does that lead? Okay, so God is not either good or sovereign, so I doubt in one of those things. So you know where that leads? That leads to a loss of faith that God isn't who he said he is. Maybe there's a God, but maybe I'll go Hindu, or maybe I'll go Buddhist, or maybe I'll go somewhere else because my faith, Jesus, is no longer my hope. I'll hope in something else or someone else. I'll hope in science, or I'll hope in technology, or I'll hope in in just that this isn't the worst it can possibly be. And you know what that produces? It ends up producing despair. And despair, we all know, leads to really bad consequences. Whether it's addiction or or just loss of the will to live. So uh, this little visual here, I want you to think about this. Because every person, I believe, has to make a choice of this. So here's suffering. Because this is where it starts, I think. Paul starts with, we rejoice in suffering. And here on this side, we have endurance, and we have proven character, and we have hope. And on this side, we have doubt or blame of God, we have loss of faith, we have despair. So when you get suffering in your life, I want you to decide, I want you to make the choice to lean into God's Word so that what follows is that. Because if not, if we take our suffering and say, I can't reconcile it, I can't look at God's Word, I can't look at the character of God, the suffering is too much, then what happens is we end up here and despair at the end. Now, God is a God of redemption. And I know people who've gone down this path, and it's never too late. But you've got to go back to the suffering. And you know why? Because our redemption is ultimately found in His suffering. There is no Christianity without the suffering of Jesus, and that's why He's our hope. He is your hope because He suffered like you and never will. You and I will never know the depths of what Jesus suffered in leaving perfection and leaving the glory of God to come to this earth full of people who hated him, who don't believe in him, who want to be their own God, and to live and die on our behalf so that this suffering that he redeemed for us can be something more than just awful despair.
Get that? That's, that's the goodness of Jesus. It's the goodness of the gospel. And Paul just confirms this. Paul is one who suffered tremendously. Like he goes through and says, I don't even want to tell you how much I've suffered, how much I was beaten and how much I was hated. He goes through and lists, I know my suffering. But he says, look, here's the God that we have. Here is what happens when we allow that suffering to change us. Here's the nature of it. While we were yet weak, and suffering does make us weak, no doubt, we're human. At the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. It's verse 6 of chapter 5. Now, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, maybe for a really good person. For our children, you'd lay down your life, right? Many of us would, I think, or our spouses, or people we really thought were good folks, we'd lay down. But somebody who's a, think of the worst person you can possibly think of, you'd take a bullet for them? I don't, I don't know that I would in myself. I'd want them to take the bullet. Think of the worst heinous offense that you can possibly imagine. We've offended God far more than that. And Jesus steps in front and he takes the bullet for people who deserve to die. But God shows his love for me, for you, for us, in that while we were still sinners, still haters of God, still without him, he died for us. So now we've been justified by his blood. That's what we just talked about, that we've been made right by believing in this suffering, in this death. Much more will be saved by him from the wrath of God. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. You don't have to clean yourself up to get to God. Do you take a shower before you take a shower? Do you clean your house before the cleaners come? Some of you do. Because you're embarrassed about how your house looks. You don't want the cleaners to know. Then don't hire the cleaners. They're here to clean. Don't clean up your... Don't take a shower before a shower. That's not the point. You can't do it anyway. You'll still come out stinky. Jesus is there to save you. Give Him who you really are. Suffering's inevitable. Sorry. It's true. It will happen. But it's not unredeemable. And it's Jesus promises us in His Word that it can lead to good. The last thing I just want to say is that if we want to really help, and many of you all want to really come alongside and help other people, having if you've experienced suffering, and some of you all have, I, I know some of your stories, and you've experienced real suffering. And when you come out the other side with faith that's like gold, it's so magnetic and attractive. When people I know who have walked through hell, walked through the fire, 
And their belief in God and in His goodness and His sovereignty is stronger than ever. It's like a magnet. A guy named David Powlinson wrote a book called Suffering and the Sovereignty of God. Let me just close with this quote. When you yourself have passed through your own fiery trials and you've actually found God in them, the God who is true to what He says, then you yourself will have real help to offer. You will then have first-hand experience of both His sustaining grace and His purposeful design. If He's kept you throughout your pain or in the midst of your pain, if He has reshaped you more into His image, what you are experiencing from God, you can then give away. You've got something to give. You're learning both His tenderness and the clarity necessary to help people who are in true agony and distress. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, I thank you that you didn't decide to forego suffering because it was hard, but you went through it because of your love. You went through it for us because you knew what life really is. You didn't tell us how to live. You showed us how to live. You were honest. You said, let this cup pass from me if there's any way, but then you told us how to live. Not my will, but yours be done. And in your suffering, you redeemed us, and you made known to us what life is like at the other end with the hope of glory. Lord, help us to develop a theology of suffering no matter what comes our way in life that we would know that you're a God who is both good and sovereign and trustworthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we close?